Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Meeting on... Um Wednesday night, and if you've never been to one of our prayer meetings, I really want to encourage you to come. We have a, a lot of uh, things that the Lord downloads to us as we're praying. And uh, as we're serving the Lord in prayer, we often get specific prophetic words, visions, pictures. People sometimes bring their dreams, and we pray into those things. And we had a tremendous time on Wednesday night where we were specifically led to begin to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we began to see pictures and visions and dreams, and there was an incredible sense of the Holy Spirit undergirding and uh, thrusting forward with a specific line of prayer to do with the Holy Spirit coming in a new way. And, uh, and at the end of that, the Lord reminded me of a prophetic word He gave to me 30 years ago. And uh, in Isaiah 41, verse 17, when the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, when their tongues fail for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights. Amen? I will cause springs of water to flow forth in the desert. And I will plant in the wilderness all these different types of trees. Next verse. The acacia tree, the cedar tree, the myrtle tree, the oil tree, the pine and the cypress and the box tree all together. Last verse, so that they may see and know, consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this. And so I'm just going to take a quick prayer and then we're going to get right into this. And what does what is God saying to us as a church? What is, is He saying to your life through these prophetic scriptures? A prophetic, a prophetic word is a now word. A prophetic word is when God is speaking specifically in regards to what is happening in your life, my life today. What is God doing right now? Illuminating uh, vagueness, bringing clarity, bringing a clear picture of understanding what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in our lives. And so that's what I believe God's going to do this morning. Father, we thank You that uh, You're the God of prophecy. Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. And today, Lord, as we look into this Word and what You're saying to us, I pray, Father, that You'd just prepare our hearts. You'd open our lives to receive the Spirit's uh, illumination that would go deep into our spirit, deep into our lives. I ask today for Your help. Holy Spirit, give me the eloquence to be able to speak, share that which is on your heart, that which comes from you. May you anoint the word that is from you today and may it go deep into our spirit and into our lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, this is what I believe that God is saying to the church right now. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, when, when you're thirsty and you can't get a drink, you get desperate. Your body naturally craves to have that thirst quenched, to have that thirst 
satisfy that's going on in your life. And if you can't find that satisfaction, you become more and more desperate. And I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking about the spiritual climate. The world offers people a lot, but delivers very little. And right now, the world is at a, at a place and at a standstill where they've realised a lot of what's been offered to them is shonky and is never able to deliver and satisfy the longing that God places deep within everyone's heart. The world is thirsty. The world is needy. Yes, there's poverty. And this isn't just talking about poor people, the poor and the needy. It's talking about the needy. And we're not talking about the needy as in somebody that you cross the street when you see them coming down that way. You think, oh, this poor needy soul, I don't want to talk to them today. This is talking about a world that is full of need, that that need is unable to be met. And when your needs are unable to be met within your life, there's a sense of desperation that begins to come and begins to echo in the chambers of our hearts when we begin to understand we need to find a solution to the fact that we're thirsty, but we're not getting any satisfaction within our lives. Can I hear an amen this morning, church? So God's about to do something, I believe, globally and within our nation where we're going to begin to see the answer that God provides in this prophetic picture. He says they can't find anything to satisfy the need, but the Lord says, but I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Because of God's great love for humanity, He's not going to leave us sitting on the shelf with this great human agonizing need where the cry of humanity is reaching the ears of God, where there, are, where there is a scream of desperation within our world, where man, man cannot provide the solution and man cannot provide the answer. Desperate times require desperate measures. And God says, I'm going to hear their cry. God says, I'm not going to forsake them. God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to visit them. I'm going to demonstrate myself to them. You see, friends, God will always meet us at the dead end street. God will always meet us when we're backed into a corner. God will always meet us when we're honest enough to recognize that we need His help. When there's humility in your life, no doubt if you're a Christian today and when you came to Christ, one of the reasons you came to Christ is that you realised you didn't have the answers for the problems that you were experiencing in your life. Friends, that's about to change for many, many, many people. The Bible talks about this is a time where there are many in the valley of decision. Where souls globally all around the world are so desperate because of their spiritual anemia they're like beafrance, spiritual beafrance. Their spirit is so skinny. They're so thirsty that they're crying out for a reality. They're crying out for answers. And I believe Jesus has the answer for your life and for my life. And when we hit the brick wall and we're seeking for answers and nobody can give us the answers, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them in Jesus' name. You know, sometimes your wife, your husband, they may forsake you. Your dad may have never looked after you the way that he should have. And you've felt growing up that you've never known the love of a father. 
You've never had a dad that's called to you and said, I love you, son. You've never known what it means to have the experience of feeling the Father's love in the arms of your father, your earthly dad wrapping around your life. Maybe he took off. Maybe he abandoned you. Maybe he forsook you. But God says, I, the Lord, will not forsake you. I hear what's going on in the cry of the heart. What's worse than that is when a mother forsakes you. Mums will be the last ones. They'll hold on for dear life. But even mothers sometimes forsake their children because of what's going on in the life of their child. Maybe your accountant's given up on you. (laughs) Maybe he says you're a lost cause today. Well, I want to tell you, you can still call upon the name of the Lord and He won't forsake you. He's got creative ways of doing His accounting and it's not by trickery or deceit, but by honesty and causing your bank balance to change in the name of Jesus. So God says today, I'm listening to you. I won't forsake you. The Bible's full of accounts of people who came into this position of finding themselves walking in a forsaken land, of finding themselves in a desert place. I think of Moses who killed a man, raised in the corridors of power in Egypt, raised as the prince of Egypt to be crowned one day as the Pharaoh. And he killed a man and he went on the run and he ran from God for 40 years. And this man for four decades came to a place of feeling forsaken, feeling dry. He literally was in the backside of a desert. He had no solutions for the way his life had gone. It promised so much, but it had delivered so little. And yet he came to this place one day where he walks around the corner with him and his sheep as a shepherd looking after his flock. And he sees this burning bush that never burnt out, but it just continued to be a flame. And as he came up to that burning bush, suddenly a voice, the angel of the Lord spoke out of the bush, said, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. And in the midst of Moses' time of being forsaken, God had an answer, God still had a purpose, God still had a plan for his life. And in that encounter with the living God, Moses' life was completely turned around and changed by the power of God. I, the Lord, will not forsake you. I, the God of Israel, will hear you and the cry of your heart. There's a cry, an agony. The Bible says that all of creation stands on tiptoes waiting for the redemption of creation. Gives us this picture that all of heaven is looking down on the activity of the earth now waiting to see the sea of humanity begin to turn and for their hearts to begin to cry out to the living God and for God to begin to answer as He promises in this prophetic Scripture. When there's no water, in desolate heights, I'm going to open fountains in the midst of the valley. There'll be pools of water in the dry lands and in the desert place. I'm going to change the spiritual landscape of humanity and I'm going to change it for you. I'm going to change it for me, says the Lord. I think of Samson, a gifted man with an unusual anointing of supernatural strength. Most pictures we see painted in kids' books of Samson is like this Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
this, this uh, Mr. Universe type of a personality. You know, I don't believe uh, Samson had a lot of muscle because it was supernatural power that he had with God. He had a special gift from God. He could tear apart a lion. He could gather up a whole lot of foxes and tie their tails together and set them off. He was, all of his enemies were afraid of him. But Samson had issues within his life. He started relying on the gift rather than the giver. Hello. Started relying on that which God had granted to him as a gift and never looked at the character and the purity in the heart of God. And as a result, Samson got wandering eyes and he began to lust after foreign women. And the gift that he had within his life suddenly disappeared one day when Delilah cut his hair because the secret of his strength was God said, you'll be a Nazarite from birth. No man or woman shall ever cut your hair. And the day they cut your hair, you'll lose your power. And in a moment of lust, in a moment of weakness, he allowed Delilah to cut his hair. And he became just like you and me, an ordinary man, an ordinary woman. And he was taken captive by his enemies. And you know what they did? And this is what the devil will do. They literally put him on the grinder where he walked round and round in circles, pushing the grinder to grind out the wheat to make flour and bread. His eyes had been plucked out. The lust of the eyes, the problem that he had, had been severely, severely dealt with within his life. And there he was on the treadmill, walking round and round and round. Once a mighty man is now a man who has fallen. And his life consists of walking round and round in circles with nowhere to go. No purpose except to grind out the flour for his enemies. But God... As our brother said in communion today, Samson one day came to his senses as he's in this mindless existence of lacking in purpose. And he said, God, give me one more opportunity. I don't even care if it takes out my own life. But I'm sick of being mocked by my enemies. Use me one more time, Lord. And he stood between two pillars and he pushed the pillars and God caused that supernatural strength to return in his life. I, the Lord, will heal you, Samson. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake you because I'm the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, and I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to hear the cry of your heart, and I'm going to deliver you from your enemies. And in that day, the Bible says that Samson took out more enemies than his whole entire lifetime in one day, in one act. I, the Lord, will not forsake you. I, the God of Israel, will hear the cry of a thirsty heart and a thirsty life. What about Joseph? Joseph, the favorite, the spoiled one. The one who his dad doted on, gave him a coat of many colors. His brothers hated him because he was always having visions and prophetic thoughts. And they just, his older brothers said, you, you're lazy. You won't come and help us. You won't come and help us out in the fields. And so one day they plotted to kill and take his life. But his older brother Reuben said, we can't kill him. They placed him in a pit. He got taken off and sold to Egyptian traders. And he worked for an Egyptian slave master. And then he was falsely accused of rape. Falsely accused, falsely tried, put into prison, 
My gosh, where is this 17-year-old boy who had a vision of the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him and now he's in rotting in a dungeon in a prison cell? How his life had changed. But in that prison cell, day after day, Joseph began to call upon the name of the Lord. Joseph began to cry out in prayer. Joseph began to say, Lord, surely this is not what my life is all about, rotting in a prison cell for the rest of my days. You see, friends, when we get to that dead-end street, we may come to the end of our tether, but God is only just beginning to come to a place of answering the cry of the human heart that reaches out to Him with sincerity and with truth. And He called upon the name of the Lord in that dungeon. God gave him an opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And he interpreted them correctly. And from in one day, in one day, as he called upon the name of the Lord, and one day he went from prisoner to prime minister. From prisoner to prime minister. And one day God elevated him, promoted him, and changed his life and the life of a nation as he gave him wisdom to, to run a new economic plan for the nation that saved them from the famine that was coming upon the land. Oh, my brothers and sisters, the key for Jesus to come and rescue your life, my life, the life of our family right now who are walking without Christ, the key, friends, is what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the truth. God cannot move on our lives when we're filled with arrogance, when we're filled with our own ways, our own schemes. It's a sure recipe for disaster within your life when pride creeps in, when arrogance sneaks in the door within your life. And yet God is attracted like a moth to a light when He sees a heart that is saturated in humility, when He sees a heart that is willing to bend, when He sees a heart that's willing to be moulded, when He sees a heart that's prepared to say, whatever it takes, Lord, do it within my life. Whatever you want me to be, that's what I'll be, Father. And in that moment, God is drawn to us. The Bible says in James chapter 4, God opposes the proud. Did you hear that? God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That means if you're prepared to surrender, if you're prepared to lay aside what you think is best and allow God's best for your life, then get ready for the landscape to change around about your family and around about your life. If you're too big to admit your need, you're too big. And God can't help you. Right through the Bible, in fact, you'll see that the sin of pride is one of the greatest obstacles to the Lord coming to deliver us and meet with us. So friends, as the world gets ready prophetically to get down on its knees, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none, when they're prepared to cry out with a cry that has no contractual attachments with it, that's not going to do deals with God and negotiations with Him, but simply says, God, I need you in my life and I'm prepared to do whatever you want me to do. Right at that point, God will come and He will invade our lives in Jesus' powerful name. He says, I will open rivers and desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. You heard it from Georgie this morning as he sang that song. 
He talked about the rage that he had inside of him when he was in prison. He talked about how he was planning to kill a man while he was in his cell. And God came and visited him in that prison cell and dramatically changed his life right there and then in that moment. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word gospel means good news. The gospel of Jesus is the greatest news that planet Earth can ever receive. But for the good news to get out to the world, first of all, it needs to be good news to us in the church. The gospel's got to be experienced for those who follow Jesus. And when it's good news for you, it can become good news for others. Amen. The Bible says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That means that the spiritual landscape in your life and the life of our loved ones can change because there's transforming power in the gospel. Can I hear an amen on that this morning, church? So it's time for us to open rivers in the desolate heights of our lives and for springs to form and fountains to begin to burst forth in the midst of the valleys today. It's good news. I think of the crippled woman that Jesus healed. This woman was in agony. For 18 years, she'd been bent over. Wherever she went, this is all she could do. She could only walk like this. Her spine was crooked. She was crippled. And this is what the Bible says that gives us an account of how Jesus came to her. Now, as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, behold, there was a certain woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. She was bent over and could not raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Friends, that's what I'm talking about. That's transformation. That's the power of God in one moment for a person's life to be changed. I'll never forget the moment when we were pastoring our third church. And a woman was down the back of uh, the, the um, auditorium and she had a scarf on. Polynesian woman. She had a lovely face, a very serene face, but I could see the agony within her face. And, uh, and I preached my message and I did an altar call and she almost ran from the back to the front of the service. And as she came up, something in the Word had touched her and faith had come within her heart. And suddenly she was walking forward with the belief that God could do something within her body. And I found out she had stage four cancer. The doctors had said there's no way that she was going to live. She had two teenage daughters that she loved incredibly. And here she was with a death sentence over her life. She had no hair because she'd been through intense chemotherapy. And they said, we cannot do anything more for you. We don't know how long you've got. And as she came forward that day, in that moment, I felt an instant well of compassion begin to rise up within my heart in tears. We both were standing there sobbing. Weeping, and I, I placed, I literally draped my hands over his shoulders and I held her. And as I held her, I felt the power of God. I felt the power of God come into her body. Three years later, I went to a funeral on the other side of Auckland. And this woman walked in with gl a glorious head of long black hair. And I looked at her face and I thought, I know you, where do I know you from? 
And she came up to me and she said, Pastor James, you probably don't remember me. And she told me who she was. And I said, I remember you, but I don't remember you looking like this. And she said, the day you prayed for me, the power of God came on my body and my cancer was completely healed. And here I am. That's what you call opening up the desolate heights and for fountains of living water to pour down into the valleys of our life. Springs of water, pools of water. Jesus said, I've got living water. And when you taste of this water, you'll never thirst again. That's what God's talking about this morning. Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. That's the gospel to change the power of the, for the power of God to change our lives. And lastly, we see these last two verses prophetically. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia tree, the myrtle, the oil tree. I will sit in the desert, the cypress and the pine tree. Do you know deserts don't grow in trees except for the power of God touching them? Did you know that? These are not the type of trees that grow in the sand. God says, I'm going to do a miracle in these last days. In Scripture, trees is symbolic of humanity. Trees is symbolic of man. And God's saying, I'm going to take the cypress tree, the acacia tree. I'm going to take the box tree. I'm going to take all these different ethnicities from around the world and I'm going to bring them together under the power of God. And I'm going to demonstrate to the world that they can, they can worship me together in one place. Just like if you look down your row this morning, you will find very few rows in this house this morning that don't have different ethnicities. Why? Because God has changed us. He's brought us into a place where we can love one another, where we can respect our cultures, our differences. And under Christ, we become one man, one woman. We become united under the power of God as Jesus Christ brings all these ethnicities to form a mighty end-time army. An end-time army. We see the book of Revelation. We see the book of Revelation showing us. Look at this. The book of Revelation says, After these things, Revelation 7, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you know, friends, this is our future. This is our future. I believe we're yet to see the greatest, greatest revival move of the power of God in the history and the annals of all the history books that have ever been written is about to break loose on this planet. And we're going to be able to put aside our cultural backgrounds, our cultural differences. We're going to be put aside our past lifestyles. And under Christ, we can become the bride of all nations, tribes and tongues and ethnicities worshipping the Lamb together bringing Him great glory. Is that not a wonderful picture of our future? Friends, if you struggle to worship with other cultures now, you're going to be lost in heaven. Because right on your left hand and on your right hand, there's going to be somebody that speaks a different dialect and a different tongue. But you're going to be able to understand each other. You're going to be able to know each other because together in heaven for all eternity, you have been united to worship the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The cypress tree, the pine tree, the box tree, all coming together 
under one person, Jesus Christ. What a testimony to the world. You know the world doesn't understand the church in this regard. You will find all throughout the city, even in, in the city, there are, there are different cultures that mix together because of language, ethnicity and culture. And you walk in there as another person of a different coloured skin. And you'll walk in there and you'll feel like a foreigner. And the world, the world sits up and takes notice when they come to a service like this and they look down every row. You look down every row this morning. There is a different ethnicity on every row of this church this morning as I'm looking right now. It's because God has done a miraculous work in our lives. And he's pulled us all together. What is the purpose in all of this, friends? Our last verse this morning says this. Here's the conclusion. Wow, what a conclusion. It says here that they may see who? The world. That the world may see and know. Consider. Consider this incredible picture of all these different trees being planted together in one place. That they may see and know. Consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. This will get the attention of the world. As the poor and needy seek water and there is none, as there's a desperate cry that's ascending to the ears of God right now and the heart of God right now, I believe, friends, over the next couple of years, already this year, we have seen some incredible salvations in this church. We have seen some major life change people's lives who have been dramatically turned around as we've baptised person after person in this church. We're only just starting. Yeah. We're only just starting. There's pastors, there's ministers who are in infancy in this church today where God is going to get a hold of your life and He's going to raise you up to be a future church planter, a future pastor, a future pastor's wife in the life of this church. Can you see it, church? Because if you can see it and you can believe it, God is going to bring it to pass over your life this morning. Thank you, Jesus. And so this morning as we finish this message, we've got to ask ourselves the question today. What sort of words would you use to describe the spiritual landscape in your life this morning? Because He's ready, He's willing, we've already said, I, the Lord, will not forsake them. I, the God of Israel, will answer them. And if you're prepared to be honest with the Lord this morning, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity, your background, doesn't matter what economic status you have this morning, what matters today is that there is a cry that is coming from your life that says, I need more of God. There's a cry that's coming from your life that says, I want the reality that the Scriptures promise. I want to know Him. I want to be known by God. I want Him to change the steps and the direction of my life. And I need Him more than ever in my life. I don't want to live a wishy-washy life. I'd rather have you hot or cold, Jesus said. But if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Not my words, Jesus' words. The climate that we're living in right now cannot be embraced by a heart that's sinking in compromise by a life that doesn't know which God they're going to serve, the God of comfort 
or the God that demands our total allegiance and obedience. Friends, I want to remind you today, for the joy set before Him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. Because he saw on the other side of the cross, he saw a new you. He saw a new future for your life. He went through the suffering. He went through the pain. He did it for you so that you could, you could enjoy experiencing eternity now. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What God is saying is, I'm ready to invade this earth, but I can't invade it unless I've got hearts and minds that are prepared to change. The word repents means change your mind, change the way you're thinking about your life and begin to embrace the kingdom agenda. There's missionaries that are being birthed in this church. We're an apostolic sending church. We don't measure our success by that. how many are in our seats. We measure our success by how many we're sending into the world to change it by the power of God. Are you available? Are you willing? Are you ready? Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. If your heart is feeling empty this morning, then maybe it's time to get it filled with the love and the power of God. Could we stand to our feet this morning, church?